What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. It's Will. It's Dov. Yeah, it's Griff. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a little bit of college football last weekend and this weekend. We have World Series this week, I believe, or next week coming up. We're going to go over some predictions and what we think and go over the NL and the ALCS. We also have the NBA and NHL seasons arising and starting, and we're going to go over a little bit about the first week and first couple games in the NBA, first week of the NHL. What do we say, boys? Do it. All right, guys, welcome back to Inside the Five. We're going to kick things off with a little college football. We're going to start first. We got Michigan absolutely killing Michigan State University this past weekend, 49 to nothing. Griff, why don't we talk a little bit about this game? Just get us started. I mean, there's been a lot of things going on in Michigan with Coach Harbaugh, with the whole program. Um, and obviously, Michigan State, who you could say is a struggling, uh, struggling organization. A struggling team ever since the departure of the once great Mr. Cousins. Um, they I, Michigan State sucks. It, that's the only way you can put it. And in the Big Ten, there's three teams right now, and Michigan is one of them. But they've played a cupcake schedule. They're the number two seed in the nation. They just took down their rivals. But I mean, how much of a rivalry really is it? The, the only game that matters. On this team's schedule is the game that they're going to play on November 25th against the Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, they play Penn State. I think Penn State is fraudulent. I, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I think they're a good team. I think they're a tough team. But there's just no way that they make the college football playoff this year. There's just no chance. The Big Ten is too tough. And Michigan taking down a team like Michigan State, they had to do it in this manner. Stop. J.J. McCarthy had a big day. Blake Corm didn't really have to do too much, and that saves him for uh, to be able to be healthy later in the season. I mean, they are kind of setting themselves up, but I just think the Big Ten is too tough this year. Big Ten is tough, and you hit the, the head on the nail there. Michigan has not really faced anybody. I don't think they faced a ranked team up to this point, and usually – in their schedule, Michigan State is their first tough test, right? Especially when you go on the road and face them there. It's usually a tough game, and this year Michigan State really doesn't have it. They're sitting at 2-5. and five. They haven't had a win in the conference yet. Usually they battle with Penn State or that third team in the Big Ten after it usually goes Michigan-Ohio State or Ohio State-Michigan, and then either Penn State or Michigan State. But this year, they're sitting at last in, the, um, in that conference, and that's unacceptable. So some things need to change. There's a lot of scandals going on there as well with whatever's going on their head coaching situation, and it's it's unfortunate to see because we're used to seeing Michigan State being able to fight against Michigan, and it was just a blowout. They obviously won 49 and nothing. J.D. McCarthy threw three touchdowns in the first half, but Michigan sitting at number two in the country right now. I'm kind of curious where this team ends up because you said you think Penn State is fraudulent. I think they're kind of a middle tier team, so I think we kind of agree with that. Where we can, pro- they'll probably they're not going to make the college football playoff unless they a miracle happens. To be honest, but it's it's interesting because Michigan goes and faces Penn State in Penn State in two weeks. That's an actual test. Um, I'm going to be at that game, so mm. Mm. my my traveling schedule got. So 
I get a call at two in the morning the other night saying, yo, would you want to go to Penn State instead of the Ohio State game? I'm like, gosh, fuck it. So I'm still flying into Ohio State. Then we're driving from Ohio State to Penn State. And then, yeah. So it, it's wow, going to be something, but we're I'm doing it. We're going to be at Penn State, wow, Michigan. Um, that's going to be big noon oh, kickoff. Electric game. matchup. Uh, yeah. So it's a better game for sure than Ohio State, Michigan State, which speaking of Ohio State, Will. Speaking of Ohio State, uh, they got a big win against Penn State. Over the weekend, keeping it in the Big Ten. They won 22-10. Stop, since you're going to Penn State in a little bit, why don't we talk about this game? Um, The offense didn't show up for Penn State. We're used to seeing Penn State put up points, and it really wasn't that case. They couldn't really get anything going. A lot of turnovers, especially in the red zone. You can't beat Ohio State like that. Marvin Harrison Jr. is clearly by far the best player in the country, if you want to talk about that. He's the most complete player, most NFL ready. Um, He's a difference maker in this game. And this Ohio State offense really struggles when they can't get him the ball. As we kind of saw, they only put up 20 points. Um, This was a test. Ohio State kind of passed. Penn State failed, in my opinion. They this game was very winnable for them, and they just couldn't get the job done. And it's unfortunate to see. But I think I've talked about this probably 10 times this year about the triangle of fuckery that could happen. So now that Ohio State beat Penn State, if Penn State beats Michigan, then Michigan beats Ohio State. What happens? We don't know, but that triangle, the first leg of the triangle has happened. So, Griff, what do you think about this? Because I, I, there's not really much to take away, in my opinion. Yeah, that triangle still blows my mind um, when you, like, say it, like, word for word. doesn't make any sense to me. Um, nobody in the Big Ten is going to make the college football playoff. But this wasn't a no, – I'm kidding. Um, this, wasn't a te- this wasn't a test for Ohio State. This was a test for Marvin Harrison Jr. and – um, one thing that I picked up from watching this game on the Fox broadcast, whatever his name is, uh, set aside Maserati Marv. We're not going to talk about him saying that 30 plus times on this podcast. We're going to talk about how I heard him say word for word, Ma- Marvin Harrison Jr. is doing a good job at making Kyle McCord look good. So in that, I, I think that that resonates for this whole Ohio State offense. It's all up to this guy. And if they can get that run game going, they'll be that much better. All they need to do is get it to this guy. And that's what they did in this game. It was a big test for them against Penn State, who in James Franklin, the head coach over there, who just can't get it done. He cannot – Get that big game against Ohio State. Get that big game against Michigan later in these uh, seasons and get to that next step. They've gotten so close. Um, I want to say they were in the Rose Bowl last year. I want to say they won the Rose Bowl last year. Um, My favorite bowl game, nobody cares. But they just cannot get to that next step. I think it's due to that quarterback play. They need to bring in a guy that's a true, like, five-star guy. They need to – really form like a true quarterback from Penn state that can sling the rock that can go out there, get 280 yards in a game. Cause I just don't think drew Lar can do that. I think that he's a very talented quarterback and he's what, like 40 years old at this point. I don't even know. He's a sock. Oh no, this isn't even the same guy, but they're the, they bring in the same guys every single year. It's the same offense every single year. And they haven't done anything with it since they let Saquon Barkley run loose 10 plus years ago. It's just, they, they fall so short of their goal because they cannot match up with a team like Ohio state. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, I think one of the big takeaways, obviously, we already highlighted, but Marvin Harrison, I mean, he is so NFL ready, and I'm so excited to see him get to the NFL. I mean, he proved a lot. Obviously, this is a big matchup for Ohio State playing Penn State. It's a big game. I mean, he showed out, and he's going to keep showing out week in and week out. Well, how about we move on to the ACC? We got an upset this last week. We had UNC getting upset by Virginia 31-27. to Griff, what does it say about UNC? I mean, they're only a one-loss team. They moved down in the standings. I mean, the ACC is still kind of up there. I mean, they're still competing. They're still a good squad. What does this say for them? Yeah, I mean, flat out UNC had to go undefeated if they wanted to have any chance of making the college football playoff. That's ruled out for the season. I mean, for a second, you think with Drake May that they might have a chance and he could have a chance at Heisman. I think Heisman gets ruled out too. It's just too small of a school. They don't have the history that all these other big-time schools do, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of talent out there this year. But that doesn't ruin their season. They can still have maybe their best season in program history. This was a tough loss against Virginia. If this is the only loss that they take this whole year, you can count that as a fluke, and we're going to call this a very successful UNC year. What Virginia did in this game was come off their first win of the season, have a little bit of confidence, feel a little loose, feel good for the first time this whole year, and this was a good upset slate. I mean, UNC at the highest of highs – Virginia, who hadn't won a game until they played William and Mary the week before. And, I mean, you can call that whatever. I I would call it a ramp-up game. You go out there, you get a win, and then you go play probably the toughest game that you're going to play this year um, in UNC, and you take them down. This is, I mean, a crazy win for Virginia. They're terrible this year. I watched them at the beginning of the season against Tennessee. I actually had their spread. And it was like 14 and a half or something like that. They lost by like 40. Um, they lost to James Madison, who's not even a real FBS program. And we can talk about the Sun Belt another time. Um, but, you know, you, you play Maryland, you play NC State, you play BC, you all lose those games. You go out there, you beat North Carolina. This is the best win that this program has had in the past four years since they were in the pinstripe bowl. Yeah. Um this was a bit, this was a shocker because UNC was finally gaining some momentum, especially within this season. With I don't I hate to compare, especially across the country like this, but with all the negative attention that's been surrounded by with Caleb Williams, Drake May was emerging, right? The oh, stock yeah. on him was completely rising, and this was an opportunity when the eyes were on him to dominate a lesser opponent, and they couldn't really get it done. He couldn't get it done himself. He threw that interception. It was wasn't good, but they. North Carolina, they're a good team. They're all right, but <clears throat> they're a middle-of-the-pack team. I'll put them in that category with Penn State if we want to talk about middle-of-the-pack teams. Um, I think they're better than Penn State, but it's just they didn't get it done. They went into this game thinking that they would probably steamroll Virginia. And that wasn't the case, and this was a tough home loss at that. Um I'm not really sure where North Carolina goes from here. You need to continue to just play well against your opponents. I think they have Florida State coming up um, in two weeks. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't think it's soon. Um, I, it's it's sooner rather than later. But regardless, um, oh, they don't no, have Florida dude, wait, no, they don't even play. Yeah, they, in three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, who the. It's Duke. Their big game yeah, is Duke. I, their big game yeah. is Duke, yeah. 
That's stupid. They should play Florida State this year. Maybe in the ACC. Which, which is another no, – no, 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 no. Duke is another big game. Yeah. And this, this is the big three of these uh, ACC teams where there's UNC, there's Duke, and there's Florida State. And UNC taking this loss drops them out of the race. And I think even Duke um, – and Will, we can transition into it now – taking mm-hmm. their second loss is still in a better place – this is a hot take. Is still in a better place uh, rankings wise than UNC is going to be going on this year, and we can talk about their loss against Florida State right now, losing thirty-eight to twenty at Florida State. And I kind of just want to talk about my reasoning behind this. Um, first off, I just you know this whole voting thing for rankings it screws everyone over every year, and it's hard to really judge off of it because there's no really set in stone way to like make an argument for someone's ranking because it's based on other people's opinions. Um, But Riley Leonard, what he did in this game, just to go out there, this, I I hate Duke. This is why it's so hard to speak right now. I hate Duke. Um, Just to go out there and another guy in the Heisman race and in the ACC, he wasn't supposed to play in this game. He was injured. He was a game-time decision. He is injured currently. He was hurt the whole game, um, and he couldn't go out there and win the game, obviously, because he wasn't healthy. Um, But what that defense did with the Blue Devils and holding them close in that game in pivotal moments, making big plays in big times, and even though they let up a good amount of points, it was just these – in the third quarter, when they held FSU scoreless, they they were showing that they could really hold on until the offense didn't match them at all. That's a good sign for that defense. And people have been talking about this Duke defense. And in my opinion, even though they give up a lot of points, they prove themselves in that third quarter right there that they can go out there and make big-time plays in big-time moments. And that can really be a difference when you have someone like Riley Leonard fully healthy as your quarterback going out there and making plays on the offensive side. So they, they, when the offense is there, they're going to be able to match that stuff. Well, the Duke lost his game when Riley Leonard went down. I think he went down earlier in the second half. They had a complete control of this game up until that point. That's when the wheels started to fall off. And that's when Jordan Travis and Florida state took over this game. And Griff, I 100% agree with you. I think that they're in better standing than UNC is just because I know that they're a two-loss team, but their losses are stronger losses than it's like. And they're like really good losses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Notre it's Dame so and Florida State. Those are the two toughest teams they'll play. But, but it will come down. That's why I'm saying this game against UNC, that's probably going to be to whoever's going to play um, against – Whoever's going to meet up against Florida State in the ACC championship. 100%. And if both teams are completely healthy, this is going to be an outstanding game. I don't know the injury status on um, Riley Leonard, whether he's going to be out for an extended period of time or if this is just going to be a short-term injury. I don't know. I assume that he'll be back for that game in two, three weeks. But they have a test this week coming up against Louisville, too. If they lose this game against Louisville, then I don't know where they necessarily stand. I, I no, I think he might be back this week. I don't. There's something about this guy. That's what I'm saying. Like he's not going to miss games. He's going to go because we can talk about this UNC game all we want, but at the end of the day, 
we can't act like they're not going to go up against a ranked opponent in Louisville who has a good defense and a very good run game next week. They're going to have to put up points against this Louisville team. I think that they can handle them, but I think that they can only handle them if Riley Leonard is playing quarterback. Yeah, and I mean, he was jogging jogging up and down the sideline in that game. I assume he'll be back this week, but you never know with random ankle injuries. All it takes is a little tweak, and then it's like, okay, what do you do? So he'll probably be back for this. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're setting up for an interesting ACC here. I mean, obviously, we can sit here and talk about Duke, UNC, all we want. I could talk hours about here, football, basketball, whatever you name it. But let's transition over on to the SEC. Alabama beats Tennessee 34-20 to in a big game. Alabama's fans are smoking cigars in the stands. It's getting real smoky up in there. Crazy game, crazy matchup. Stav, let's talk about it. Um, to be honest, I thought Alabama was dead, especially at halftime. Tennessee looked like they controlled this game in the first half, similar to what we saw in the Florida State-Duke uh, game, where Duke really came out firing and they had the opportunity. But then in the second half, the tide switched. And Jalen Milrow did his job. He went 14-21, to 220 yards, two touchdowns. In the second half, he took care of the football, and that was the difference. Um, at halftime, it was 20-7. to and Tennessee had a pick six. I think that's kind of where this shift in momentum went to Alabama, where it's like, all right, we got to lock in. And in the second half, the defense dominated. I, I, this was probably one of the more impressive defensive performances we'll see this year. And they took clear control. They outscored them 24 to nothing. In, uh, no, I'm sorry. They outscored them 27 to nothing in the second half promoting that victory, a two-touchdown win, and a late defensive touchdown sealed it for Alabama. Yeah, and thank God Jalen Milrow finally did something to bolster this offense because this defense has been playing like this all season. And it was kind of hard to bet this game. I actually shot away from this game. Even watching it, I didn't live bet anything. I was nervous the whole time because – Uh, You just don't know what Joe Milton is capable of, but there goes that Alabama defense again, week in, week out, just grinding out games, winning these games for Coach Nick Saban. And when there's questions at quarterback, when there's questions on offense, it's always this defense that holds a Tennessee team who's number 17 in the nation, who has one of the best offenses, best quarterbacks in the country, holds them scoreless in the entire second half. It's a game going into it where you think Tennessee has a chance. It's really up to what Joe Milton can do, and it wasn't. It was all that Tennessee couldn't run the ball at all. Joe Milton could kind of do his thing, kind of maneuver his way until that second half started. They really tuned it up and just had a fantastic second half. Kool-Aid McKinstry played good on defense. He had a few mistakes on special teams, one pivotal mistake on a punt return. Um But other than that, it was really just up to that defense. And, I mean, that's what they talk about in SEC country. Mm -hmm. I mean, another good game. Always a crazy matchup. Let's close out last week's games with a crazy, crazy game. Uh, USC losing to Utah 34-32. Pretty much ruining USC's season. And, honestly, Caleb was potential last season at USC. Griff, why don't we talk about this? I mean, I called it. They, there was no chance USC was going to win this game. I, I'm surprised that it was this close. Um, I think that USC has a lot of playmakers. I think that they have a lot of divas. And I think that 
when you talk about Pac-12 teams, there's Washington, obviously, um, who's probably the number one team right there. But I think that in terms of the best fit to go out and be a USC team, it's going to be Utah. Utah, they, they have some dogs over there. They have a good defense over there. Um, rising when he's healthy makes this team even better. Um, and without him, they just rely on everything else. They have a good overall team. They have a deep team. Um, and they just have some dudes that will punch your teeth in. And when you're in the Pac-12 and you have guys like that, that doesn't come too often. Those remind me of the days of the old USC Trojan days when they had those defenses and going back to Utah as well with those just tough nose defenses. It's good to see. We've been talking about the Pac-12 all year in their last year. Um, and Utah is a team where we keep them under the rug and they're going to be there the whole entire year. And they're going to be getting these big wins and they're going to keep racking them up. And um it, it, it's just exciting to see it. I think that it's going to be up to Utah and Washington to finish out the pac 12. And I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Cause I also, hate, I also hate Caleb Williams. Yeah. No, Griff, I'm hundred percent with you and never would I have thought that we would be sitting here talking about how Bryson Barnes absolutely out Caleb Williams in a game. Mm-hmm. And, this game started off with fireworks. Both teams went down the field, scored touchdowns each on their first two drives. And I looked at that live over at 71 and a half after it was 14 to 14 in the first quarter. I stayed away. Thank God I did because they didn't score again until the third quarter. And yeah. with that even being said, it was still 66 points. Another touchdown would have cashed that. However, Bryson Barnes put up an absolutely incredible stat line. He took care of the football other than the one interception and went 14 to 23, 235 yards, three touchdowns. And it was a very physical game, um, which benefits Utah, obviously. I thought this, it would be a lot different. Um, I didn't really expect Caleb Williams to be as flat as he did, only accounting for one touchdown, where the running game really carried, uh, really carried the whole mantra of this team. And Utah out physical USC, and that's the story of this USC season. They can't win these tough games when teams go and punch them in the mouth. And Griff, do we want to start the narrative that Caleb Williams is a bust already? Caleb Williams is a bust. He is a bust. I, a bust. I uh, this is like a oh, I don't know who to compare it to in football. I'm so here for like, this. This is a guy that everybody likes, and I feel like I caught on early. I just don't think he's going to be good. I think he's the guy that has to be the number one pick but isn't going to be good. A couple weeks I gave him the Johnny Manziel comp, and I was in Louisiana. My people that I were with didn't agree with me, and I just like he, – he's, now he's asking for ownership in the team that drafts him, but then he's also saying that he might not go into the draft if a bad team has the first overall pick. I mean, he's just setting himself up. He's setting himself up. And he's a good villain to have in the Pac-12 right now. That's why I'm rooting for guys like Utah and Washington. I mean, I was just going to say it myself, too. I mean, I'm I'm here for the Caleb Williams is going to be a bust thing. I mean, he's setting himself up. I mean, you can't really – I mean, he talked way too soon. I mean, asking for ownership, not wanting to go to the draft if teams aren't going to be good. Like, I just – I don't like that at all. I mean, and, and they're right at the blunt end of it. They took two losses, and their season's over. But keeping it in the Pac-12, we'll keep it with the same school. We got eight Oregon going into 13, Utah. 
Stav, what are your predictions for this game? Who do you think is winning? I have Oregon winning this. Um, Utah is the negative beneficiary of the schedule where you you go and you have a tough game against USC, and now you have to face Oregon, who's a very good opponent. Um, I don't think that Oregon will make the same mistakes that USC did, and I think Oregon's defense is a lot better than USC's defense. So that's why I'm taking why Oregon in this Oregon game. game. It's going to be tough for them to go into Utah and get a win, but that's how I expect uh, this Oregon team to do it, and I have very high expectations for this team going forward. Yeah, and Oregon, not, not a team that I mentioned earlier because I knew we were going to talk about this game here, and they're at the top of that table as well. Um, if Washington's not the top team in the Pac-12, the Ducks are, and they proved it with their defense. They proved it with Bo Nix, who is – at the same level of education as us, but is like 30 years older than us um, and played against Oregon when Marcus Mariota was there. Um, That's the stat. Um, But this team is good. They are solid. They like all around their defense is good. They have the quarterback um, and they're going to go out and they're going to win this game. They're favored by six and a half on the road at Utah, which I'm kind of scared of because that's a tough stadium to play at in the Pac-12. Um, I think it's going to be a close game, and I think it has the potential to be game of the weekend. I think that these two teams match up really well against each other, two very good defenses. I just think at the end of the day it's going to come down to the quarterback play. Bo Nix is obviously the better quarterback in this matchup. Definitely potential to be game of the week here. I'm also going to go with Oregon here. I mean, how can you not? I mean, this is going to be a great game. Keeping it in the Pac-12. We got Colorado at UCLA. Colorado in dire need of another conference victory and in dire need to get right back on the right foot here. Um, Griff, what do you got Griff, in this game? This game? Um, I think UCLA wins this game. However, the spread is set at 17 points. The over-under is set at 62 and a half. I like Colorado with the points, and I like the over in this game. This reminds me of Colorado's first game of the season um, when not many people believed in them, and they went out and they took down TCU. I don't think that they're going to go out and win this game. I know that it's a tough game in conference as well, but I think that with this offense at their highest capacity – I think that they can put up numbers against this UCLA defense. You know what this UCLA offense is capable of. That's why I love the over. If you like the over, I feel like you got to take uh, Colorado with the points because you're expecting Colorado to score some points too. So, Yeah, Griff, I'm exactly with you on this. Um, I love the over. And I don't like betting against Colorado in these – large spread games because they have a good enough offense to put up points against the US UCLA defense. And I'm not really on the Colorado hype train anymore. It was fun in the beginning of the season. Yeah, it was fun. They're kind of corny now. Um, a little bit. You talking about the Nuggets game? That is kind of corny. Yeah. The, uh, the game against Arizona State where, like, Shador went into the crowd, but the, it's like, bro, you just beat Arizona State. Like, that, that school doesn't give a fuck about football. And, like, you go and you lose to Arizona. Arizona sucks. Right? They lost to Arizona. I'm not tweeting. Mm-hmm. I'm not, 
anything. That was two no, weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. And it's like, I want to root for Colorado. I like what Dion's done, but they're – all right, tone it down a little bit. You guys are a little fucking corny. And asking LeBron for a jersey is just corny. There's a lot of cornballs over there. Yeah, and LeBron's ass. Yeah, LeBron fucking sucks. All right. They're doing all this kind of stuff here, but let's keep it moving. We got Georgia versus Florida. What are we thinking? Georgia. Who's taking this game? We'll quick fire. Yeah, Georgia. Georgia. All right. And then Florida. big matchup. We got Duke versus Louisville. This could shake up the ACC a little bit. Oh, I got Duke. I got Duke in this game. Everything that I said about Duke applies to them in this game. I think Louisville isn't a good enough team to keep up with Duke's defense. Got to go with Duke here. Duke, Duke. Oh, yeah. I'm with Duke. All right, moving right on in. We got the MLB. World Series is happening. We got Rangers versus the Diamondbacks. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Game 7 really quick. We'll go through these two Game 7s really quick, and if anyone has anything to say, we'll just say it. Uh, the Rangers beat the Astros in 7, obviously. Um, Rangers won 11-4. to It wasn't even close. Dusty Baker retires, which is pretty big for the Astros. Could this be the tipping point in the Astros kind of run the last few years? What, what are we thinking? Uh, no, I think that this is only good for the Astros. I think that Dusty Baker is old. I think that he doesn't fit into this new age of baseball. And I think that although, um, he has led this team to almost dynasty level. I mean, they have like, if they had more rings to prove for it, they have the rings, but like they are in the ALCS every single year. Like they are the team to beat in the AL when you start the season every single year. Um, but I think that someone, whoever fills the shoes of Dusty Baker next will be someone that he hand selects. I think that they continue this path, but they freshen up the organization a little bit, um, make it a little bit more fun, make it a little bit more of a free agent destination, be able to revamp and match up with a team in the AL West, spend a lot of money and be ready to go. I think that, they're they're too like strong of an organization to just fall off like that after all of these years. Yeah, Martin Maldonado is probably just going to go right into that manager manager spot. Yes, yes, and if he isn't a part of the organization, then I'm worried. Yeah, I hate him. Yeah. I think he stinks. Yeah, he sucks, but he, he knows sucks. what he's doing. You think he's terrible? I think he was like Marcus <laughs> Smart during the years where we like were really pushing him to get into all defensive sectors. Yeah, he's – I mean, Marty Maldonado isn't a good bat whatsoever. He can catch the ball. I hope so. Congrats. But he's a leader. I guess if, if I'm an Astros fan, that's what I pride myself by saying with Marty Maldonado. He's a leader. And, <laughs> yeah, Griff, going off of what you said, this Astros team isn't going anywhere. I mean, I don't really want to put all of the credit on Dusty Baker. This team is clutch. They always show up in the big games, and they always deliver. They're down, but they're never out. And this kind of proves it here. I was shocked when the Rangers came back to win. When you go and you win every single game in Houston, that usually doesn't happen. We saw it with the Red Sox in 2021 where you drop your home game, the home field advantage switches back to Houston. You don't go in there and win in both games six and seven, which is very impressive, which is why I have the Rangers winning in six in the World Series. Mm. I jumped the gun a little bit, but mm, no, I like that. I like, I like that. that. Just I, I, my turn to break it down. I'm gonna go 
on the NL side. I'm going to talk about this Diamondbacks and Phillies game seven, and I'm going to talk about how upset I was because I put it all on Philadelphia in this game. And you want to talk about, hey, a team went into Houston and, and took a couple of games to finish out this series. How about the Arizona Diamondbacks, Will? I mean, that is that is impressive. We've been talking about uh, playing at the bank this whole playoff run. And what does Philly do? They do exactly what every Philadelphia team does ever. Um, if you are a fan of Philadelphia sports – and you just so happen to just like listen to this. I, I want to understand why you're tuned into this because we like, we're never going to talk anything good about you. And when I'm betting on you and you don't come through for me, that's even worse. I it's, it's the perfect start. Cause now it's basketball season and Philly fans aren't even excited for their basketball team because they know the same shit's going to happen to them. again. Uh, the Diamondbacks are an absolute wagon. Um, Every time that I doubt them, they just overcome and overcome. And there is one guy who has caught my eye since the World Baseball Classic, and I've fallen in love with him this whole season, Cattell Marte, World Series MVP. I have the Diamondbacks winning in six games, finishing out the series on the road. Um, That's just what they do. There's something about it, and when it comes down to it, now it's just one more series. You just got to go out there and win four games. It, it, it could be anyone at this point. There's going to be a lot of runs scored in this World Series. It's, it, I and I honestly, I I have the Diamondbacks in six, but to be honest, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have, I don't know anything. Well, Cattell Marte, what he's done is nothing short of impressive. I, did you you mention how he hit or? Did he break the record for yeah, most consecutive hits? Yes. So in his playoff in his playoff debut. Yeah, that's unbelievable. And this team, you look at them on paper, this Diamondbacks team, nothing really stands out, right? I know. But they have the guys to do it. You know, it, it's a good group of guys to root for. It's they're one of the teams where it's like they don't know how good they are, yet they don't really realize what pressure they're under. Because you guys, you got guys like Alec Thomas who are hitting insanely clutch home runs <laughs> in the bottom of the eighth of postseason games the Phillies as huge underdogs. You have Corbin Carroll, who's who started off the series against Philly very slow, but then yeah. picked it up when it mattered the most in games five, six, and seven, where he dominated the future of that franchise. And obviously, you have guys like Geraldo per, per, what is it, Peridomo or so, something along Perdomo. those lines. Yeah where he's swinging the bat very well. It always feel like, feels like he's getting big hits for them. You have Evan Longoria, who is their veteran leader, probably the dad of that locker room. What and did I say? What did I say at the beginning of the of the playoffs? This is, this Evan is Longoria back, is the this is key. Back to, this is back-to-back years where we've said, hey, watch out for this team, and that team makes it to the World Series. And, <laughs> um, But it's – Interesting to see how this team is managed too, because you go Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly, they don't have another starter really. I mean Brandon uh, Fott, who oh my god, he's, he's terrible in the regular season. Terrible. He had a ten ERA and he comes into the postseason and is shoving. He's going five and two thirds, six innings every single fucking outing and shutting out the opponents. And he was the biggest question mark 
for this Diamondbacks team where it's like, shit, okay, you can get Gallon, you can get Kelly. Those are two good spots for you. And they haven't been producing. Zach Gallon has not been good in the playoffs, and they're still in the World Series. This is like, this is why playoff baseball is awesome because there's absolutely no reason why the Diamondbacks should be in the World Series. Yet here they are after going into the bank and beating the Phillies on the road in game six and seven. It, it makes no sense. And like I said, I have the Rangers in six. But with that being said, the Diamondbacks could very well win in seven games, and I wouldn't really bat an eye. It'd just be like, I'm not surprised. They're doing two bullpen games in a series. It doesn't make any sense why they're actually where they are right now. Except Mad- for okay, the okay. They're, like, oh. they're hot. Like, the oh. Red Sox had so many bullpen games, and they never worked. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't make – like, this could be the Red Sox. If the Red Sox – like squeeze by and somehow made the playoffs. This could be the Red Sox. Yeah, all you got to do is get in the dance. That's it. But yeah, um, I got the Rangers in five. I got to go with my pick that I picked during the deadline. I believe I said the Rangers are going to go to the World Series and win it. So I got to stick by my side. But I also picked the Diamondbacks in our playoff predictions. So this put me in a weird situation here. But I'm going to go with Rangers in five. I think the Rangers are also just as hot as the Diamondbacks. Beating Philly is way more electric for them because they came back and did it in a way game six and seven. They've done things that I've never even thought was possible for this Diamondbacks team, even even said at the beginning. But, I mean – I just have some. There's just something about this Rangers team that goes out there. They hit the ball. They play great defense. I feel like if they stomp on them early in this series, I don't know if if the Diamondbacks can really fight back. I think if the Diamondbacks win the series, it's got to be in six or seven, and the Rangers have to crumble apart. But I think if the Rangers get up early, I think they might be able to close it out in five. So I'm gonna go with that. Rangers in five. Um, I mean, we all talked about a guy. We can quickly run through, but I got World Series MVP being Corey Seager. Yeah, I mean, he hits bombs. Griff, what you, who, who's your World Series MVP? Me? Yes. Cattell Marte. He, I mean, I. so I obviously have the Diamondbacks. He's just a guy that every, every night he is either starting or contributing on the runs that they make in these games, and he is the center focus of this offense right now. He is Mr. Consistency. Like we said, he – this is his first playoffs ever. And to start on – I don't even know how many game streak that he has had. And I don't think it has gotten busted yet, has it? Did it get busted? No, I don't think so. He's still going. I mean, I don't get how he's not – how, like, he's – people are not seeing that he's not going to continue doing that. Like, he is going to get a hit in every single game. And a hit in the World Series matters. If he can get on base, that could be a run right there with his speed, too. He's been in the league for a while. He's been ready for this moment. Um, I I love a guy that you talked about, Alec Thomas, at first base over there. He should have been making plays. He's batting cleanup for them, um, and he's hitting bombs. He hit one into the pool when they were back in Arizona. If there's a single, If there's a single home run that lands in the pool without bouncing – Without bouncing, Will has to buy me, and the Diamondbacks win, Will has to buy me a Cattell Marte Diamondbacks shirt. Okay. Sure. You said shirt. 
Okay. He said okay. That's even more than sure. So if Cattell Marte hits – no, I said you said shirt, not jersey. Jersey. I meant to say jersey. Wow. Mm. Will, did you agree to that? I did you say okay. Shirt. How did about, I say shirt uh, or jersey? Okay, wait. Okay, but well, let's, let's put – Okay, we'll play shirt then. And then if Corey Seager hits one into the pond and the Rangers win, you have to buy me a Corey Seager shirt. Okay, yeah, we'll do shirts. All right. (laughs) Where if Marcus Simeon hits a home run into the pool without bouncing, then you guys have to split a jersey for me. Jersey, huh? I feel like that's all. I'll get you a shirt and we'll get you a hat. Deal. Okay. I mean, it's not going to happen. Well, yeah, I he's, know. A, he's a righty. Yeah, I know. Imagine he that, exactly. That's why I said yeah. jersey. Yeah, but. no, I, I already got. I already got a jersey coming your way in a couple of months. No, you don't. It's not over. <laughs> but with that being said, my World Series MVP is Marcus Simeon. I just feel like he's due. Another thing that really doesn't make any sense for why this Rangers team has been as good as they have in the postseason. Marcus Simeon really hasn't played that well, and I just think he's due. And, uh, Will, I love your Corey Seager pick. Uh, he's the best shortstop in baseball, and he always performs in the highest situations. So, good pick with that. And, Griff, obviously, if the Diamondbacks win, I feel like Tell Marte has to be has him. Has to be him. Has to be him. Yeah. But, yeah, it's going to be a great World Series. We're all excited Keep for Your it. pick is Adolis Garcia, by the way. Just putting that out there. I like that. I like that. Going to be a great World Series. But, boys, it's here. The NBA season has arrived. Opening night was on Tuesday. We had Celtics playing on Wednesday. We got a lot to dive in here. We'll start really quick. I'm going to go real quick over this so we can get to our team. We had the Nuggets being the Lakers, 119 to 107. Big game, obviously, here. Jokic showed out. We love to see it. Suns beat the Warriors in a close one. Didn't honestly didn't think it was going to be a close one. This was kind of a weird game. I thought the Suns were going to go out there with their new stars and ball out. That didn't quite happened per se with the uh, well my bad sun did ball out my bad I meant to say the warriors thought they were gonna well i don't i scrapped that long day move on to the south east both teams both teams Bo- no both, I teams. both teams both teams were supposed to show out and really neither of them did kd started off i think like two for 11 or something like that. Devin Booker couldn't really get the job done. Um, but then they started to figure things out later in the games. It's going to take a while when you have those big shifts. And I, hot take, hot take, I don't mind Chris Paul on the court with Steph Curry at the same time. I think that if you just stick Chris Paul at like a wing, give him the ball and he can just like get it and pass. And then maybe Draymond can be in the other corner and he can do the same exact thing. And then Steph Clay and Andrew Wiggins can all run around. Um, I want to briefly talk about the Nuggets, Lakers. The Lakers suck, and I'm going to say this all season. They don't have a good roster. They didn't surround LeBron with the adequate talent that he needs to actually perform. AD shriveled in the second half of this game, and the Nuggets are who we thought the Nuggets were. They're going to be contenders all year if they can stay healthy. And guys like Aaron Gordon, MPJ, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, that team's stacked, and then you go on their bench. These guys are continuing to perform. Christian Braun playing excellent defense. He, you're giving – and Reggie Jackson, I didn't even mention him. Reggie Jackson and Christian Braun off the bench, 
they're good. This team is good, and the Lakers fucking suck. I'm sorry, but like Rui Hachimura as your sixth man, like they what they did, this team would be pretty good in like 2003. <laughs> like you, you have four centers coming off the bench with Rui Hachimura, who's a power forward, but he pretty much plays like a center. He sucks. Christian Wood, who they have listed as a forward. No, he's a center. He's a center. Jackson Hayes, Cam Reddish can't really do much. So I'll consider him a paint merchant. And like the Gabe Vincent went three of eight. He used all of his superpowers to beat the Celtics uh, in the playoffs last year. So this team isn't good. You have Torian Prince giving you 30 minutes on opening night. <laughs> same as the same amount as LeBron. And Austin Reeves, ooh, superhero Reeves, he fucking sucks too. Congrats, he's going to average 15 points a game. That's your second best score. That's your second best score. He's, I mean, D'Angelo Russell is never going to show up again. And LeBron's going to be on low management all year. Like, this team can't hit a three. You go down three, you're going to swing it to Austin Reeves in a corner? <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, no shit that they lost by double digits and they never really competed in this game. I mean, and- they suck. They yeah. really suck. And it's fun to shit on the Lakers because I'm just waiting for Lee GM to come in and complain about the whole roster because they're yeah. just scared that Anthony Davis, because he's a piece of glass, so they have seven centers on their team. Um, Brief thoughts on the Phoenix game. Um, the Suns kind of controlled this game throughout the entirety of the contest besides in the third quarter. Uh, the FBI needs to come in and investigate what happens at halftime of Warriors games and why the fuck they just dominate the third quarter. They went out and they outscored Phoenix 40 to 19 in that third quarter. And it felt like one of those Warriors games where it's like the crowd goes and the Channing Warriors and all the fun shit. And Seth Curry keeps hitting these dagger threes. And but Phoenix kind of took those punches without Bradley Beal and they played well. I mean, this was a very balanced scoring effort. I mean, Devin Booker really took over, but I forgot they had Eric Gordon on this roster. I think I said that in chat the other night too. Um, he came off the bench, gave you some solid minutes. And this Warriors team, their depth scares me. When Clay Thompson goes six of 18, he, it's a really tough spot to be in. I mean, you're relying on Dario Sarge to give you 20 minutes a night. He fucking sucks too. So it's like you need Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, you need Chris Paul to facilitate the shit out of the ball. It, it, it's a tough spot to be in if you're the Warriors because your best players play a very similar style of basketball. I mean, Chris Paul facilitating the offense, it's going to take some time to develop, I think, especially with both Clay and Steph being off-ball playmakers, essentially, where they're just going to be trying to get open and Chris Paul finding them. It's going to take a little bit of time for that to kind of mesh. I think they'll be fine in the long run, but their depth really does scare me. Right there. Um, Let's move right in. Our team, Celtics. Go on to beat the Knicks 108 to 104 last night. Tatum had 34 points, 11 boards. Porzingis had 30 points, four blocks, and eight rebounds. Griff, what were your initial thoughts with the team and the game? We had an interesting one last night. Yeah, it was a good game. And it was a, uh, I feel like we kind of knew it was going to be a tough game. And the line told you it was going to be a tough game if you want to talk about betting. Um, I got it at three and a half. I don't know if you guys got it at anything other than that. So I ended up for you then. Oh, well, uh, still covered the spread um, barely, but 
we knew it was going to be a tough game going into Madison Square Garden, and it, it's the first time that, you know, this is a fresh starting lineup, and I thought they played well. Um, I, I want to see Drew Holiday have the ball in his hands a little bit more. He did he did his job of, you know, he, he's got to guard the best guard on the floor, and even though Emmanuel quickly went out there, and I don't know why he's not starting for this team, Um with Jalen Bronson in that backcourt, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Emmanuel quickly is a starting player in this league. Um, he is a great player. Um, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, but I, I do want to talk about this Boston Celtics team and their bench who didn't really give us quality minutes in this first game. And I'm not going to overreact. It's a long season. There's a, a lot of guys that we didn't see in this game. Um, a lot of guys that I'm excited to see that we didn't see so far so far and we'll probably see tomorrow night um and sam hauser went out there he he shot i like the confidence he none of them went in but i don't think that's the end of the world he he still went out there he played good defense he didn't really look out of place in that defensive scheme al horford had a had a rough go um he did all right from the field shot a couple of threes for us um he just you you can tell he's old and i like the role that he's in I, I think that he's going to get a few less minutes, and we're going to see a few minutes from a few more minutes from Luke Cornett, who played out there, um, and then a few more guys like O'Shea Brissett, uh, Lamar Stevens as well. We just haven't seen them yet. But uh, stop! I'd love to pass it to you. I talked a lot about the bench, of course, to start our talk uh, of the Boston Celtics. Why don't you talk about our big guys? Yeah, I appreciate you leaving me with <clears throat> the best stories. Essentially, um, Kristaps Porzingis is what we thought he can be. And I know we've watched Chris Stapps for the last nine years almost, but we I never feel like we saw him do what he did opening night. I didn't think he would be out there kind of going ISO on the opposing big man. You know, fuck you, Isaiah Hartenstein, by the way. He's a fucking pussy. Oh, my God. He's such a bomb. He's such a bitch. And, but Chris Stapps is out here hitting step-back threes over Mitchell Robinson. And he's the one who's really – he was the catalyst in that fourth quarter who kind of put us ahead. Hit the dagger, too. Hit the dagger with 30 seconds – or a minute and 30 seconds left in the game. Hit that big three. Five feet beyond the arc. Yeah. And he's seven three. And he starts off our games. Our first shot is Chris Stapps Porzingis on a pick and pop. And that's very hard to defend if he's hitting his threes like this. And he got to the line ten times and he delivered. He went nine to ten from the line. He did his thing, and he was plus 13. He had the highest plus minus on the entire team. And I'm very happy with what he did. And to uh, go along with that, he grabbed eight boards and had four blocks. He set the Celtics record for most points in a debut, but those four blocks weren't really, like, meaningless either. Those were huge blocks, and a lot of them – or two of them came in that stretch in the third quarter where the Knicks kind of came back into this game – and especially early in the fourth, when Chris Stapps-Porzingis and Jason Tatum went back into the game, that's when the tide started to shift back in favor of the Celtics. And Jason Tatum did his thing. He was so efficient. He got to the cup. He finished with his left hand. He finished with his right. He was physical. This is what we've been waiting to see out of Jason Tatum was physical basketball. And we're going to need it against these scrappy teams like the New York Knicks, led by Tom Thibodeau who pride themselves on being more physical. If you can be out physical, or if you can out physical the New York Knicks, you are going to win the game. 
And then we're going to see that going forward with the Miami Heat on Friday night, tomorrow night, if Jason Tatum can continue this physical play, I don't see how the Celtics could essentially lose a seven-game series. I know it's only one game into the season, but he did mm-hmm. his thing. Next guy I want to talk about, another new guy, Drew Holiday. Shout out Drew Holiday. His on-ball defense was incredible. He held uh, Julius Randle to 1 of 11 shooting. He held Jalen Brunson to 0 of 5 or 0 of 7 shooting. And he held R.J. Barrett to 0 of 4 shooting when he was the primary defender when they would take their shots. He was unbelievable defensively. He took some questionable shots on the offensive end, but he facilitated. He did his thing. I'm not really worried about a shot selection. I think that it's all going to come in a matter of time when this offense really picks it up. I mean, you scored 108 points in your first game ever as a team. That's fine. Jalen Brown, you got to pick it up a little bit. He had some really bad turnovers. Um, He was really the only negative spot in this really starting lineup. And when the Knicks went on their run, Jalen Brown was really the primary scorer. He couldn't really get it done in that moment. But he's going to figure it out. He always does. It's either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown who put up an opening season shitter. Usually. Remember, two years ago in the Knicks, Jason Tatum went like, three of 24 or something along those lines, but Jalen Brown put on 46. So I'm not worried. I just want to see how this offense starts to mesh together and be a cohesive unit as the season progresses, because there's going to be some learning curves along the way. There's so much talent on this team. If Joe Missoula can really get these guys to buy into what he wants and the players are meeting and the players are buying in. Right, we 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 see these reports early in the season. We can see they can say they're going to buy in, but let's see if they actually do it. And you go into New York, you get a win to start your season. You're starting off well. That that's kind of the final line of it. Um, Jason Tatum and Chris Stapps were the MVPs of this game. Definitely, and I agree with you guys both. Before we move on, I just wanted to quickly say there's just something special in the air about this squad, I, and and it, it really hit me when we go down. And we make that comeback, and we didn't lose. I'm so used to going down and having an awful third quarter, and then we kind of just crumble apart really late, and we really put it together there. And we won a game, a tough game, honestly, at, at, at MSG, and, and I'm happy about that. And, and honestly, this team looks great. I mean, I'm never, I mean, I feel like every time I've watched Porzingis in the past few years, I always feel like he's just sitting in the corner, like just wasting his talent away. And seeing him in the paint, getting blocks, and being dominant was a sight to see. Uh, the third quarter was our highest scoring quarter. I think that's the first I mean, time that's ever happened in our lifetime. No, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I think that's the first time it's ever happened in our lifetime. Yeah. And it's crazy that we that happened because that's kind of when the Knicks started to go back into it. But that's yeah. when the Celtics kind of took those yeah. punches on the chin and they didn't fall down. And usually, what we see, like to Will's credit, what he just said, we always see the Celtics team come out in the third quarter and if they're flat, that translates into the fourth mm-hmm. quarter and they can't get it going and then they end up losing the game. Yeah. Well, I 100% agree with you. That felt like a game that they would end up losing or past Celtics team would end up losing. Mm-hmm. But Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Jason Tatum showed up in that fourth quarter. Yeah, it's like the Avengers. Yeah. When they came, I, I'll, I vividly remember that picture. Not a picture, but like when Chris Stapps and Jason Tatum go to check in and they're sitting on the scores table, I'm like, okay, things are going to be all right in – in fact, they were because this defense, I mean, the defense in itself, you you held New York to 37% shooting from the field. They hit more threes than you, but they were they also shot more than you. 
So mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things that the Knicks also struggled from the line. I really mm-hmm. don't have much to say about this Knicks team. We know what they are. Mm-hmm. I, I like Jalen Brunson a lot. Uh, he had a really off night. But Julius Randle, God, you got to stop yeah. taking this. Shout out to the Knicks, though. We know what they are. That's the first time that we've known what they are in a while. In a while so. mm-hmm. Emmanuel quickly always kills the Celtics, too. And yeah. Griff, you're right. I feel like the only reason why he's coming off the bench is so he can win six man of the year. Because he's the best bench player in the NBA. He should be a starter yeah, over yeah. Griffin Grimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to quickly go through the next couple of games. Talk about really quick, and then we got awards predictions, season predictions. We'll get through those. But um, we'll talk about Webb and Yama's debut against the Mavericks and Luka, which they kind of spoiled it. They lost 126 to 119. Webb and Yama put up 15 points, a block, two assists, two steals, and five rebounds, which so happened to be the identical stat line of Tim Duncan, his first ever game as a Spur, which I thought was pretty crazy. I saw that today. Um, and then Luka, 33 points, 10 assists. And I think it was he had 13 rebounds, right? Not yeah. three. 13 rebounds, triple-double. Crazy game. And then we'll go straight into the Thunder blowing out Chicago was wild. They already held player meeting only today. That was absurd. Yeah, Yeah, hilarious. Yeah, the Bulls are in a shithole right now. Thunder did their thing. But anyways, we'll move on to season predictions. We'll get things kicked right off. Griff, give us your MVP. Um. I'm going to go with Nikola Jokic. Uh, based off of, you know, what we saw in the first game, I think that it's hard to say that he's not going to average, you know, you don't want to overreact, but still this is Nikola Jokic. You, you're going to think that he's going to average a triple-double this year. You're going to think that, it, or at least in my opinion, he should have won it last year, um, and he should have been put up in, in the highest of highs when you're talking about NBA players of all time, if he were to do that. So he's going to come back this year and there's going to be a lot of games that you see when you're looking at, Oh, who leads the game in scoring, who leads the game in rebounds and who leads the game in assists. It's going to be Nikola Jokic in all of those categories for those games for majority of nuggets games this year. I think he's going to go absolutely uh, berserk and just go off in this Western conference. Um, and obviously there's another guy um, in the Eastern conference who's up there with him stuff. Yeah. Um, Jason Tatum's going to win my, he's my MVP. Uh, he's due. He's so due. And my whole thought process with this is you, if you're the best player on the best team, then you should win MVP. And Griff, to your credit as well, Nikola Jokic is probably going to be the best player on the best team out West. Um, I also think voter fatigue factors into this, where I can't see him winning three MVPs in a row. Um, but yeah, I, I got Jason Tatum. I'm right there with you on Jason Tatum. I think he's honestly, it's kind of due. I feel like if this is the year that we're going to do it all, we're going to win it all. Jason Tatum's our guy, and he goes out there and does his thing. It's got to be him. It's got to be him. But we're going to move on. we got Defensive Player of the Year. Stav, who do you got? I got Evan Mobley. Uh, Mobley. I have Evan Mobley. Uh, he's a force in the paint. He's ha- has a few. He has a season under his belt now, I or two seasons under his belt now, and he's improved. He gets the blocks, and I think that he's going to be a crucial part to this Cleveland team to make the three seed in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it, the Cavs have the chance to – make some noise in the Eastern Conference. There's a big void after those top two. 
Um, and there's a few teams, Philly, if they can get Harden's act together, uh, will be up there. But the Cavaliers, I think, are the third seed in the Eastern Conference. Ivan Mobley could be a big part of that. Um, I'm going to go with the Western Conference again. I'm going to go with Jaron Jackson Jr. I just think that with the role that he's going to have to step into with no Steven Adams for the year, um, he's going to have to be that big man. He's going to have to go out there and not only get the blocks that he gets, but also get the rebounds that he and Steven Adams would get. Um, he just has a big role to fulfill, especially with such a small team when you have Bain, uh, Morant, Smart all out there at the same time. It really gives Jaron Jackson that opportunity to control that paint all by himself. Well, I'm going to keep it in the West. I'm going to get a little bold, and we're going to get to it in a little bit. But I think Victor Webanyama is going to win two awards this season. I think he's going to go out there and win Depoy. He has all the capabilities to get – over two blocks a game, potentially up there. He has the abilities to get steals. I mean, he's going to be a weapon for them, and I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do. But I think he has just the amount of capabilities to win deep point in his rookie year. But we're going to move on. Sixth man of the year. Griff, who do you got? I'm going to go with Emmanuel quickly. A guy that we talked about, um, he's just – there's no reason for him to be on the bench. It, it makes no sense. He's one of the better guards in the league and he's not starting. He'd be starting on almost every other team. The only reason I can really see it is because, first off, Thibodeau is a psychopath, and second off, because Quentin Grimes is, like, the only person on that starting lineup that will play a hint of defense, Um, and he's not even that good at defense. But it's going to be Emmanuel quickly, just what he's going to do scoring. I think it's going to be hard to match coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Griff, I'm there with you. Uh, what we saw last night, he's a starter that should be – or he's a bench player that should be a starter. And, yeah, I have him winning six man of the year as well with you. Um, I mean, I I kind of put this in just to shine light on someone else. But, I mean, Emmanuel quickly, after watching last night, he should easily win six man of the year. But I'm going to go to Malik Monk. We'll go to the West. Um, the Kings, I feel like they're going to be competitive, but I feel like he's going to be a guy who – comes off their bench and does a lot of good things for them. I mean, he had a big dunk, I believe, last night. Um, so, I mean, I think he has the capability to be good for them off the bench. Um, we're going to move on to most improved. Stav, who do you got? I got Anthony Edwards. Uh, I think that there's going to be a certain narrative around Anthony Edwards this season as kind of the next big thing in the NBA where – I don't want to say he's going to be kind of thrown under the rug because there's so many storylines this year, but then he's going to emerge. And I think he's going to lead this Timberwolves team to a play-in appearance at least, maybe even a six seed. And he's a really good player, and especially with what we saw out of him from Team USA this summer. Um, I think he has the leverage to kind of sway. I'm taking this from like a voter's point of view, I guess. Yeah. The NBA probably wants to promote Anthony Edwards. And um, I have him winning most of Um, I like it. He was great uh, with Team USA this past year. Um, I'm going to take another guy that I thought kind of impressed me from Team USA and just the role that he's going to step into this year uh, with Macau Bridges. Um, he's on pace to be an all-star. I, I don't see anything below that. I have him being an all-star this year. I think that the Nets um, get into the playoffs this year, and I think that he's the best team, and I think that he's the number one option um, on this Nets team, and they will be a playoff team. 
um, finally taking that role. Obviously, he was under uh, KD, Kyrie under – or not Kyrie, but under KD in that whole reign. And when the Suns were there, he, it, it was just a whole he, – he's finally in his role. He's finally in his spot to shine, and I think that he's going to take full advantage. I like that. Um, I'm going Devin Vassell. He had a big game last night for the Spurs. Dropped 23 points. I think he has a lot of room to obviously improve, and I think he's going to show that this year. So I got him winning most improved. Um, next, we got an earthquake here. But, uh, Stav, who do you got written rookie of the year? Yeah. Um, Victor Webman, yeah. That's the obvious choice. I feel like we don't even need to dive into this. Mm-hmm. This is an earthquake, like you said. We all have Wemby. All right. And then we'll move on to Coach of the Year. Griff, take us away. Um, I mean, come on. Like, you guys know it's Coach Joe or Coach No. There's no other option. He is perfectly set up. This is his time. He has the roster that he wants. He has the spacing that he wants on this offense. He has the defense that he wants. And it's time because he doesn't want defense. It's time for him to perfectly execute his offense. I'm excited to see what he has in store for us this year. I think it's going to be a crazy offense where, you know, some nights we're going to see Jalen Brown score maybe less than 10 points, and we're going to see Drew Holiday score maybe 25. We're going to see Kristaps go out there and score 30. We're still going to obviously see Jason Tatum there night in and night out, but there's going to be a few nights where Kristaps even leads our team in scoring. And it, there's a different guy that can step up that has been here before, um, has, has been around for a while, and can really contribute into these key games down the road. Um, this is a juggernaut of an offense, and Joe Missoula is an offensive mind. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, this is a big shift for the organization. It's finally in his hands. It's, it's his team, you know. Yeah, yeah we all, I agree with everything you've said. And I don't really think that there's much to add to Joe Missoula and why he should win Coach of the Year. I mean, yeah, it's Joe Missoula. Um, we're going to kick it off. We're going to get the season just started. Moving on. We got the NHL. Season started on October 10th, so it's only been a little while ago. But um, the NHL's top dogs are shining real early. We have Vegas at 7-0. and We have the Avalanche at 6-0. and The Bruins are 6-0. and um, Is Vegas going to repeat? What do we think, guys? Um. I'm going to get things started with this Vegas team. It's very rare in sports in general that the same exact roster that won you a championship comes back and you don't lose anybody. Everybody returned on this Vegas team. While every other team in the NHL, there's going to be some shift, right? Every other team is going to look a little different. There's going to be some time to mesh. This Vegas team is hitting the ground running and we see it as they're starting seven and zero. If, there's a team that's bound to repeat. I think it has to be the Vegas Golden Knights in the, in the situation that they're in. It, they, how do I, I kind of phrase that weird, but out of every single Stanley Cup champion that there's ever been, I think Vegas is the most primed to repeat. That's where I kind of want to put it there. I know there have been repeats before, but this team's set up. This team is set. And you have your top line guys like Jack Eichel and Adam Stone. These guys are just, dominant right and they're dominating games and Aiden Hill's in net and he's dominating games they're winning games not just uh they're winning games convincingly it's not like ugly wins against bad opponents they are winning games and 
this Vegas team is just one that we love to see. Yeah, yeah, and they're going to be a, a pest in the Western Conference, and they're going to be the top dog, um, obviously the team to take down. Um, and if there's any team to do it, it's going to have to be Colorado. I the, Year in and year out, we talk about Kale McCarr, and I think it's finally time for him to get a taste of that uh, Stanley Cup. And, and I – they're a tough team. They're tough as nails. They're going to be fun to watch. We talk about these three teams that, you know, haven't lost so far at the beginning of this very young season. And there's just no way that you can't talk about, you know, the future of this year and not include Colorado. It, it, these two teams that we just talked about, Las Vegas and Colorado, they're going to be a hell of a matchup. Um coming down the stretch, but you know, it's so early in the year. You can't judge it. There's going to be a lot of teams um, that shape up. Maybe some guys go down, maybe some guys come up out of nowhere um, and, and get the job done. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Bedard uh, in, in struggling in Chicago. And, you know, there's some other young guys that, you know, we might not even know about yet who haven't got a chance yet um, to make a difference on these different teams. So as for the top dogs, I, I, honestly have a tough time seeing Colorado getting knocked off. Um, but Vegas, I just, there's something about him. I just can't see him going back to backstop. I don't know why. I don't know why I just can't see it. Recency bias. <laughs> no, but it, it's hard to go back to back. It's probably the hardest thing to do in sports. And that's why I'm saying if a team is to ever go back to back, that's why I like this Vegas Golden Knights team because they've been there, yeah. done that. Yeah. It's literally the same exact team from last year. They're they're totally set up to do so, and I mean, it's obviously hard to do in any sport, especially the NHL, to go back to back. Um, let's talk a little bit with Bruins. Bruins are six and zero, starting off strong. Um, Stav, initial thoughts with the Bruins season thus far. Um, I don't want to say that they're early season good schedule merchants, but they really haven't faced anyone good. I mean, you're going through their uh, their wins right now. Obviously, you beat the Blackhawks opening night. You go to Nashville. You beat the Predators. You face the Sharks. The Kings are a pretty good team. That's a good win. But then you have the Ducks and the Blackhawks again. It's it's an okay. You do what you're supposed to do. You you can't really ask for this uh, to do anything else if you're this Bruins team. And guys, I really want to talk about. I mean, obviously, you have your top-line guys. You have the guys that everybody knows. You have David Pasternak, you have Brad Martian. But guys that everybody might not know, rookie Matthew uh, Patra, unbelievable. He's been playing better than Connor Bedard up to this point, and no one's really talking about it. I mean, there've been there's been a lot of really good rookies that have made some great impressions in the NHL up to this point. But Matthew Patra, he's probably going to make his way up to second line center within a few weeks. And they're the Bruins are going to call up another defenseman. I'm blanking on his name, but this team is getting younger and they're skating very well. And it's all credit to Jim, Jimmy Montgomery, who's done an excellent job with this team. And Brad Marshan looks good. David Posternock's playing at an elite level. Your defensemen are playing well. Obviously you have Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy, Charlie, your assistant captain and, Everyone's playing well right now, and you probably have the best goaltending duo in the entire NHL with Linus Omark and Jeremy Swimman. When both of those guys come in, you're confident in a win. 
And I'm very happy with how this team has started off the season, and I really just hope that they can continue to do I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, the Bruins are obviously starting off 6 and 0. I mean, you, you can't you can't be too mad about that obviously. They're one yeah. of the top dogs in the league. We love to see it, especially early on. But I feel like coming into the season, we were kind of like in a weird spot where we're like not really like a necessarily like a rebuild year, but it kind of felt like a rebuild year, especially after losing um Bergeron. Um, but I want to say like we have been playing well. Patra's been playing really well. I mean, we have two very very good goalkeepers. I want to say one of my like I guess we can call it preseason predictions. But um, I was saying Jeremy Swayman might go up and have a really, really great year, almost even better than Allmark because, I mean, I don't know how many more years Allmark's got left, but Swayman's our next guy up, and I'm really excited to see what he can do in his career, and they're both looking really, really good. Um, big Swayman guy. I mean, how can you not love him? How can you not love this tandem? How can you not love this team? Nobody believed in him, and – it, it's, you know, they, they go out, they make some additions. People want to talk about their center depth. They, people want to talk about the bad parts about this team. And they go out and they start out this season the way that they've done. They're the top dog in the East. They're going to go up against Anaheim tonight, and they're going to absolutely kick their teeth in. And then they're going to go up against Detroit. Um, and it, it, this is pretty much like a bye week for them. They're going up against Anaheim, and then they get to go up against Detroit. They need to sneak through these two teams. They need to get by. It's, I'm not saying it's going to be right. You know, they're set. They're setting themselves up to. They have to go down at some point. We know it. Um, if they can get by these two, they're going to face a tough Pittsburgh team, a frisky Pittsburgh team whose wins don't really add up to what the potential of this team is right now. Um, and after that, it's going to be a bit more of a gauntlet. Um, obviously they have to lose at some point. Every team is going to, there's, there's not going to be a hockey team that goes undefeated. Um, but just the way that this team has, you know, the people that they lost to, to get these key additions. You want to talk about, um, Van Reemsdijk. Um, there, there's a, there's a list of guys that they added and there's guys that they lost like Halsey's in Chicago now doing absolutely nothing for that team on the IR Um, now. Perfect. Um, he because he just wants to be in Boston. He's a Boston. Yeah, he, he's gonna drive back. <laughs> yeah, easy. He's from Chicago. He made it from Buffalo. He's like, I'll double it this time. Bring yeah. me back to Boston. When he comes back off the IR, uh, they're gonna drop him. He's gonna come to Boston. He's gonna drive that night, play in the game. Um, no, but in all seriousness, Boston. You know, they. We are a team that needs to be taken down. We're not a team that, Oh, like we lost those guys. We're not here anymore. We're, we're still here. We're proving it right now, early in the season. And I love that mentality that we're holding across with the Bruins. I mean, obviously just to quickly shine a light on our division, um, the Maple Leafs and the Red Wings are off to a hard start, which I mean, speaking of the Red Wings, even being off to a good start is kind of crazy. We haven't seen them be pretty, pretty good in the past few years. And obviously the Maple Leafs started off the season Electric, I believe Austin Matthews had a hat trick in his first game. What crazy, crazy stuff going around. I mean, Bruins are electric. We love to see them six and zero. Move on to kind of an interesting division, the Metropolitan Division. I wanted to really talk about this one because the Rangers are four and two, the Hurricanes are three and four, the Devils are three two and one, and the Blue Jackets are also three two and one. Obviously, the Hurricanes finished first in the division last season. The Rangers had a first round exit. This division looks very weird and it feels like this is going to shape up to be a very interesting run throughout the entire season how do we feel about the rangers the hurricanes how do we feel about this division um 
the division itself is always going to be tough, right? When you have teams that are going to be fine in the long run, like the Carolina Hurricanes, um, I'm not really too worried about the, the Rangers this year. They're they're okay. Obviously, you still have Artemi Panarin. You have probably the best defenseman in the NHL in Adam Fox, and or one of the best. And it, it, But this team in general, it's they're going to be all right. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be a wild-card team, but I'm, I'm not really as worried as – I'm not as worried about them as I was last year because I really thought that the Rangers would give the Bruins a run for their money when it came down to playoff time. Obviously, they lost in the first round of the Devils. But um, speaking of the Devils, I love the Devils this season. Um, They're a young, fun, exciting team. For those who don't watch hockey, if you want a team just to kind of watch on a nightly basis and just really root for, this team is going to be scoring a lot of goals, and they're a very young team obviously led by center Jack Hughes, who's kind of solidifying himself as one of the better centers in the NHL, one of the better players in the NHL. He has, he leads the, uh, the Devils in, in points with 17 through um, their six games that they've played, which is unbelievable. And they have guys who, um, like Tyler Toffoli, rookie, who they just, He's scoring goals. He leads the team in, in goals scored, and they always come back and compete in games. Usually, like last year, I feel like I would always bet on the Oilers when they were down by two goals. Um, I feel like this team is going to be – this year it's going to be the Devils who I do that too. And they're very they're a very solid team. They made it to the second round of the playoffs last year. They couldn't really get it done. And I just really think that they have an opportunity to make some noise out east and – Led by Jack Hughes, I think Jack Hughes could end up winning MVP this season. Wow, I mean, not not a terrible take in the slightest, and um, I like the way you put it. You know how much we love on this podcast the young, fun, and exciting teams. Um, and you just want to take a brief look at, at the Metropolitan Division. It's it's not going to be easy, and this is shaping up to be one of the tougher divisions to win. And you want to talk about a team that has things that are the, the pieces that are capable to do it, and, you know, you hate to say it uh, with a 37-year-old goalie, but I, I like the way that New York looks this year. Um, I, I, you know, you can't bet against Panarin. Um, the, the defense, in my opinion, um, could use a little bit of work, but they're just, they're just a team of a bunch of old guys. Like, they know they're, they're some veterans. They're some dogs. They have a little bit of shininess on them as well, um, and, and they just go out there. They know what they do. Um, they started off the season hot, and I'm not, you know, saying they're going to go out there and win, win the cup, but they're going to be a tough team to face uh, going on through the, the the courses of the season. So um, it's going to be a tough look in that division, um, and I love the way that New Jersey is shaping up as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, before we move on, I just want to say if the Blue Jackets can stay healthy, they don't look awful either. I mean, I know that's pretty much been their main struggle. Obviously, they got rid of Panarin and Rorensky's in and out of injury trouble. But, I mean, their team, they got a couple good signings in the offseason, and they're looking to make a run. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs last year, and this division's tough. I mean, obviously, we, we spoke about the Rangers, we spoke about the Devils. The Hurricanes are always going to be the Hurricanes, but this division is going to be very, very interesting. And I want to kick it right back to the other side, other conference, really quickly, because the Stars are 4-0-1. Their only loss is in OT, and, I mean, they're still – undefeated quote unquote i guess with the with the only one overtime loss how do we feel about these guys i mean they're kind of 
up there right now. They're playing really good hockey. I mean, this is another slept-on team, I feel like, in my opinion. Go ahead, stop. You kind of cut out uh, which team were you talking about? I was talking about the Stars. I said I felt like they were a little slept-on team, in my opinion. I mean, they haven't gotten a true loss yet. It's only been an overtime loss. So I feel like they're Mm kind of up there with these big guys right now who are still truly undefeated. Yeah, the Stars are always going to be one of those interesting teams where they have a lot of veteran leadership, right? Obviously, this team led by Captain Jamie Benn, um, they they get the job done year in and year out. And they might not have the most recognizable names, but I I trust this team to kind of get the job done. And like you said, Will, they haven't had a regulation loss yet. There's going to be a lot of teams like that who we look at come – middle of the season or end of the season that are like holy shit this team is really good and you trust them they um the dallas stars i feel like we'll always see them kind of late into the games obviously joe pavelski is up there he he leads them with uh their points this is a very balanced team unlike i don't want to say unlike the devils but jack hughes obviously leading that team with 17 points through the games up to now joe pavelski leads this team with six points you know, so there's a big difference here with how balanced this team is. Everyone pretty much who goes on the ice gets points, right? You have Joe Pavelski, Wyatt Johnston, Jason Robertson. This team is a very balanced team. You know, any line one through four is able to get the job done, and that's why you trust them. And if you're going to go to goaltending, you trust their goalie with uh, Jake Ottinger. He's over a 90% save uh, percentage up to this point. He gets the job done. He's sitting at 3-0-1 with the overtime loss being under his belt. Um, I trust the Stars team. I really like them throughout the season, and I think that their balance and their level of efficiency to score the puck is something that's going to be very tough for other teams to keep up with. Definitely. And one last thing before we move on and close out with our NHL predictions, I wanted to quickly talk about Connor Bedard. I know we mentioned him earlier on, but what are we expecting from him this season? I mean, he like to me, I'll go first a little bit. I mean, I'm expecting him to be almost a point per game kind of guy. He's doing his thing out there. He's shining early. I mean, Stav, what do we think? How do we feel Connor about Bedard, Connor? The expectations for Connor Bedard were through the roof before he even stepped foot on an NHL on the ice, right? And he's on on a good team. So I feel like a lot of these stats are going to be kind of skewed against him. But up to this point, he has two goals, two assists. Obviously, that's four points. But he needs time. This Blackhawks team needs time to develop. And you can't – Some this isn't like the NFL necessarily where it's like you have a rookie quarterback. He starts game one and he's – He's going to win MVP, whatever that the stipulation is you put him in. But Connor Bedard has stepped in. Usually we don't see young players like this with this much, this much expectation to develop or like just to dominate right away. It's very rare. And he's more hyped than Connor McDavid was coming out of the uh, coming out of Canada into the NHL. There's a lot of pressure on him. I expect him to he's up to this point. He's handled that pressure. And he's dealt with shit throughout each game. They're not on a good team. They're not really sitting at a good record right now. They're sitting at two and five. And tonight, or no, I'm sorry, tomorrow night, you go and face Vegas. That's probably one of the harder games you face all season. But two of your losses come against the Bruins, who are undefeated. 
Connor Bedard played well in those games, and he should have had another goal the other day, but it got taken off the board. So I like Bedard. I think he's going to be fine. He's also 18. So it's like people need to maybe pump the brakes a little bit and let him figure out his way through the NHL. Yeah, and, you know, one thing that it's hard to get a grasp of how much, like, someone wants to win, but in terms of, like, you look at a guy and you can tell that Connor Bedard, his main goal when he's entering this league is to help a franchise win. And it's going to be hard to really set expectations for him because of how how much can he contribute to a team that isn't really going to bring him anywhere? You know, they, they, there's a lot of holes on this roster and they're going to build around this guy. So what, what you just want to, what I just want to expect from him or what I hope for him is for him to play a full year. I just want him to be healthy for the full year, go out, get some valuable ice time throughout this first year. Cause like Stoff said, he's 18 years old. A lot of these guys that get drafted, they don't see the NHL in that first game. They don't like, they don't sniff the NHL in that, in that first year. They he's coming out. And obviously these first picks are a little bit different, but he's coming out. He's on the first line of this team and he is supposed to be the best player on this team. He's 18 years old. And it, I just want to see him, if he can stay in that role, be healthy for a full year, uh, then, I mean, the possibilities are endless for the rest of his career. It's really valuable for just him to be healthy. Definitely, especially for the Blackhawks in general, because if he's healthy, he's playing good, they become a destination now. But we're going to wrap things up. we got NHL. we got our predictions. Griff, Griff, start us off with your sleeper team of the year. Yeah, so we had a conversation about sleeper teams um, before we recorded, and I had a tough time, like, putting this team as a sleeper team because I genuinely just think they're an overall good squad. They haven't gotten started off – or they haven't started off with the greatest record. They're sitting at 3-3 three and three right now, sixth in, sixth in the Atlantic. Um, that's the Ottawa Senators. Uh, they've made some moves. They have done a very good job of – you know, going out, they have guys like Kachuk. I mean, that that left wing pairing of you have Kachuk and then Stutzel to fall back on, who was our guy, Tim Stutzel, our guy. Will mm-hmm. um, the, the pride and soul of Puck Tuck on this Puck Talk on this podcast, Tim Stutzel, um, who has solidified himself with a good role on this team. You got guys like Tarasenko, who's made his way over um, in the past year, and it. There it is. There's the jersey. The is that the OG jersey bet? The OG jersey bet. The first jersey bet of inside the five history, right here. Yeah, yeah. The first ever jersey bet. But um, I just think that a team led by Brady Kachuk um can, can go a far way, and I think that he's one of the best players in this league. So you can't doubt a team um, that is led by him. And when you have the pieces around him that you do, uh, that offense can, can put up a lot of goals when they're firing. We saw on their little three-game winning streak, um, they were putting up a lot of goals. Um, and that's what I expect from this team in the long run stuff. Yeah, that's a great team to pick. I mean, Brady Kachuk has started off the season on fire. He had a little bit of an injury scare last game, but he's back. He's going to be fine. The Kachuk brothers are tough, even though they're pussies. Um my sleeper team, I briefly talked about them before, is the New Jersey Devils. Last year, we saw them make some noise by upsetting the New York Rangers in round one of the playoffs, making a good run, and ultimately falling short, obviously. But this team is young. 
This team is fun and they're exciting. Yeah. Jack Hughes yeah. has another year under his belt, and up to this point, he's been dominant. And we've talked about Jack Hughes before, and he's the best player on this team. And they have the young guys to support him. And Timo Myers, they're still there. This team is good. This team isn't one you want to see in a seven-game series because they skate and they skate fast. They're a very fast team. Um, the way you beat a fast team is to be physical, but they still got their defensemen that can take care of things. Their goaltending is a little suspect up to this point, but it's hard to beat a team if that team's putting up five to six goals every single night. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with the Canucks here. I mean, I feel like this is a team, um, they're young. They got a lot of things to work on, but their offense looks pretty good. Obviously, they got JT Miller. They have guys like Brock Bowser, and then they have Andre Kuzmenko, who's really young. And I like all those guys. Their defense does need a little help. Their goaltending is all right. But, I mean, this is a team that's going to – I mean, I bet against them – First game of the season against Edmonton, and and they won. They scored a lot of goals. This is a, it was scored a lot of goals. Game. The over that game. They, they scored a lot of goals, and I was very impressed. And I feel like we see this tendency with the teams, like almost like um, the Kraken, where they scored a bunch. Their defense needed some work. They got the help they needed, and they kind of became that like sleeper team of last year. I feel like the Canucks could easily fall in the same category as as the Kraken, and if they get some help throughout the season and work their way up, I feel like they could easily be a really good sleeper team. But we're going to move on to another earthquake. The final earthquake of this episode is our Stanley Cup champions. Stav, take us away. Um, Griff, you went a little more in-depth than I did, but we have the same thought when it comes to this. I have the Boston Bruins winning the Cup. But with that being said, obviously there's a little bit of bias there. But I just think that this team is kind of due. They went into this season as – Severe underdogs. No one really thought that they can do it, but that's the best spot for this team to be. And I truly think they're probably a deadline acquisition away from really being up front in the East. And this team wants to get it done. And I think with another year under Jim Montgomery's belt, with certain decisions he could have made in the playoffs last year, I think that he now learned from his mistakes. And I think in general, throughout the course of the season, um, I just really think that this team is due. We've we've been so we've been so close yet so far so many years where we thought last year was the year, but I think that this year is really the opportunity for them to do that. Will, I mean, yeah, we talked about them. It's the Bruins. We start we're starting off hot. You you, you fall in love with this team. This is just the teams. Our teams are our guys. I mean, obviously we've seen our past go away and now we're in with the future we have a lot of young guys i'm a i'm huge on jeremy swayman this year it's gonna be a big year for him obviously all mark is getting a little old and then he's our future goalie from time to come marshawn is our captain now this is exciting even though beginning of the year it was questionable whether it was gonna be a rebuild how are we gonna be what what are we what what is our ideal identity we're here we're here to stay and we're here to win a damn stanley cup griff yeah, I mean, it wasn't a rebuild. It was a revamp. We've seen what this team is capable of. We still have that leadership. Um, and, you know, you lose a couple of guys. And I think a key addition that we're going to see this year is uh, Milan Lucic, if he can stay healthy, just to have another guy to fill in that vacant uh, leadership role, someone that's going to speak. And even though he hasn't been a part of the organization in what has been eight years, 
It's been longer than that, right? It's been a while. Um, but he's still a guy that people are going to look up to in that locker room. People are going to respect in that locker room. They have a few of them. And then they have those young guys that are going to go out there and get you the points. And they're going to go out there with some energy. You still have some great defenders. And you have the best goaltending uh, combo in the whole league. So um, this team, it, they they went back one step and then went forward too. I, I think that they have put everything together. It's going to take – um, some time to see this team really gel, which is exciting to say because we haven't lost a game yet. And um, there's still a long season ahead, so hopefully health um, is on our side. That's always a, a major thing um, in all sports. So with that being said, I mean, we can pretty much just give us the rings now. Um, it, it was an exciting episode, a long episode, a jam-packed episode, um, a whole lot of stuff going on. We hope you guys enjoyed Go Bees. We will catch you guys on the next episode. And peace.